Hello and welcome to the Dr. Jones Podcast. This is episode 81. In today's episode, we're discussing IBD or inflammatory bowel disease, what it is, and a number of very holistic options for your dogs and cats, why your dog licks his butt, and what you can do about it. And lastly, a new and inexpensive over-the-counter treatment for COVID-19 that is commonly used for dogs and cats. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. I'd sure appreciate it if you subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. Lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book. It's at www.veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. IBD or inflammatory bowel disease. In dogs and cats, it's likely due to a variety of diseases that result in an accumulation of inflammatory cells within the lining of the stomach, the small intestine, large intestine, or a combination of all of these areas. It's usually classified according to the types of inflammatory cells that are present at this specific location. The causes of IBD are not well known, but they are suspected to be a result of abnormal response by the body to a certain intestinal bacteria or dietary antigen, i.e. the type of protein that your dog or cat is eating. What are some of the clinical signs? Well, animals with IBD involving the small intestine usually, usually present with chronic vomiting, weight loss, diarrhea, loss of appetite, or a combination of these problems. Animals with IBD involving the large intestine, chronic colitis, usually present with diarrhea, with or without blood and mucus present, straining to defecate, increased urgency to defecate, occasional vomiting. How do you diagnose IBD? Well, diagnosis of IBD can't be done on a physical exam, fecal tests, x-rays, even blood work. These tests are necessary to rule out other diseases in terms of is there a parasite going on? Is there a foreign body in the intestine? Organ disease, i.e. liver disease, kidney disease, some of these metabolic diseases, even cancer. Blood tests are also useful just to assess the overall metabolic status of your dog or cat and any other concurrent problems. Some dogs with severe IBD may have low protein levels in their blood due to a loss of proteins through their intestinal tract. This, unfortunately, can worsen the sort of long-term prognosis. So important to get all this stuff done. But to get an actual diagnosis, uh, your veterinarian is going to need to be doing intestinal and stomach biopsies. Often these can be obtained via an endoscope, so you don't have to completely open your dog up. But in most cases, that means getting referred to a internal medicine, and someone who's actually in a specialty veterinary practice who's able to do the endoscopy and give you an actual, here's this exact type of cell that's in this area, and this is what is causing this chronic vomiting, chronic diarrhea. So what about treatment? Well, there's a number of different facets of treatment. First, you want to start with diet. The goal of dietary management is to reduce the antigenic stimulation. That means the thing that's triggering the inflammation in the first place. And at the same time, meet your dog or cat's nutritional requirements in an easily digestible form. There's a number of different homemade diets, some several commercial available diets. The big thing here is you're using a unique protein. So as say, for instance, if your cat normally eats chicken, then you're going to be changing that to something like, you know, venison or duck. If you're making it as a homemade diet, it's going to be very simple. It would be kind of primarily an animal protein. i.e. say duck for a cat you would be adding in a few other specific supplements likely a taurine supplement likely a calcium supplement likely a fatty acid supplement 
and you'd be feeding that for a period of time initially to see if diet would be controlling it. There's some specific veterinary ones. There's one called limited antigen, antigen diets that are actually designed for IBD. Some cases they've also modified the protein so they make it less likely that it's going to be less stimulatory and less likely to inflame the intestinal tract. That seems to work with some dogs, some cats, some animals it doesn't. Medication. The goal of drug therapy is to settle down the immune response by suppressing the inflammation caused by the infiltration of the cells in the intestinal tract. Several types of anti-inflammatory drugs are used, and these vary. Probably the most common one, what I initially often ended up using in veterinary practice, was corticosteroids, i.e. prednisone. Um, and there's even a newer one that I wasn't really initially available in practice, and it is now you should also be aware of. So prednisone, these are the primary anti-inflammatory drugs. They're used to treat IBD because they're effective, relatively inexpensive, and easily available. Some dogs and cats, so pretty quick initial improvement, sort of one to two weeks starting therapy. But there are a number of side effects, you know, increase in drinking, increase in urination, increase in appetite, increase in anxiety, weight gain, agitation, restlessness. You can even see mood changes in some animals. Some cases you can get uh, drug-induced Cushing's disease, right? And some animals can become diabetic as a result of the corticosteroids. They're not ideal to be on long-term, uh, but they are effective in some guys. This is the only way we can you're able to con conventionally control IBD. There's a new corticosteroid medication called butanosinide. What it does is it has more specifically has largely local effects on the lining of the intestinal tract, minimal absorption into the body. Some guys with severe inflammatory disease, it doesn't seem to work as well, but the great thing about it is it's got far less side effects than these oral corticosteroid medications which affect the whole body. It's expensive, unfortunately, and some animals don't respond. And because if you've got a small dog or cat, it's going to require that a pharmacist is able to compound it so they can make that medication into smaller doses. There's other anti-inflammatory type antibiotics, believe it, that in some cases work as well, or they work as well in conjunction uh, with using the, uh, the, the corticosteroids. Some of these include flagell or metronidazole, tetracycline, doxycycline, tylosin, uh, azithromax, or also known as azithromycin. These antibiotics may modulate or alter bacterial populations within the intestine and may allow a lower dose of the anti-inflammatory meds to be used. Then in some animals, you're looking at even stronger immunosuppressants. And these are things I, that might be used in some of the drugs for the chemotherapy for cancers, you know, such as cyclophosphamide. But they're pretty potent things, can have some pretty serious secondary side effects and they're ones that kind of want to be reserved sort of for the last case like we just can't control that vomiting the chronic diarrhea and you know we start to see these, these animals losing a serious amount of weight and you're sort of stuck like what is there any other option fortunately there are a number of other alternative options i'm mean, going to list a number one of these here that should be explored as well First, green tea polyphenols. Drinking green tea may reduce inflammation in the intestines, and scientists now believe that research on it merits clinical trials in people with IBD. Resveratrol, so this is the flavonoid, for instance, that found in red grapes, for instance. Studies in animals suggest that resveratrol may calm the immune system's reaction, reducing inflammation, and even preventing colitis and colon cancer. Rutin, uh, this is a flavonoid found in citrus fruits. And it's one I've talked about for using this really unusual condition called chylothorax in cats. The only thing that really worked. Rutin is also found in buckwheat seeds and even tea. And what it does is also helps reduce inflammation in the colon. So far, there's actually been animal studies done showing that it's beneficial for IBD. Fish oil. The omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil supplements 
can reduce inflammation and keep animals in remission from IBD symptoms longer. And it's such an important, really benign and very safe anti-inflammatory. It's always kind of one of the key ones I talk about for the array of different dog and cat diseases. So you really want to make sure your animal's also on fish oil. This is a new one called freeze-dried black raspberry powder. Because of its potent anti-inflammatory effects, this is being studied for inflammatory bowel disease. You really want to be considering some of the probiotics. You know, they're keeping a good healthy balance of the bacteria in their gut. And there's a number of different specific things, good bacteria, good probiotic. The most studied one is Lactobacillus acidophilus, but it also includes bifidobacterium. They seem to sort of rebalance what's going on. So what happens in IBD, you actually get an imbalance in some of those good bacteria. And that sort of exacerbates, makes this disease worse and sort of chronic. Uh, probiotics may reduce inflammation, disease severity. Prebiotics are some of the things that the probiotics grow on. They don't have the same level of evidence, but lab research suggests they may also help reduce inflammation. They allow more of the good probiotics to grow. One, uh, one standard pro prebiotic is called inulin. Bovine colostrum. This is an interesting one. It's known as the mother's first milk, but it's been studied in veterinary medicine for an array of different diseases. It's got you know, a number of specific active molecules that really target the digestive tract. It's being used in veterinary medicine uh, in particular to help repair an in injured intestinal tract. We know that if, if animals are on non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, if they're also on colostrum, they have far lower chances of having secondary side effects. So in this one study, they actually look at using colostrum with an IBD or inflammatory bowel disease. And what they seem to suggest is that moreover, bovine colostrum seems to be a suitable candidate to be used as a natural supplement that may reduce the side effects of the other synthetic drugs that are currently used for IBD, i.e. prednisone, and may also decrease some of the signs and symptoms of IBD, which is huge. And I've never actually thought about using it. And I thought, you know what, if I had an animal with IBD, I would definitely try them with a colostrum supplement. A kind of standard dog or cat colostrum supplement is about 100 milligrams for 10 pounds of body weight daily. Um, there's a company called Animal Biome, and actually what they do is called a fecal transplant. It's called fecal microbiotica transplants, or FMTs. And what they're doing is replacing or transplanting gut bacteria found in fecal material from a healthy donor to the digestive tract of recipient. So if you have a, a cat, for instance, or an animal with IBD who is not responding to treatment, Maybe that there's possible there's another underlying disease. Make sure your veterinarians rule out things such as pancreatitis. But what they're finding is that many of the animals that are tested via Animal Biome's Gut Health Microbiome Test Kit and have been diagnosed with IBD, they have very altered microbiomes. Like their composition of gut bacteria is very different. So what's challenging is that you could even supplement with probiotics, but it's not enough of the good bacteria to go over and recolonize properly. And many people are having good re uh, results using uh, the Animal Biome. Uh, fecal transplant. So I encourage you to look them up and I'll put a link to their website uh, under this show notes. CBD for or cannabidiol for inflammatory bowel disease. This is another fairly recent study and they're looking at drinking it with people but also starting out with animal studies. IBD is so difficult to treat and you're looking at you know some of these serious secondary side effects using corticosteroids, the immunosuppressive drug and many people don't even respond to some of those or they have such serious secondary side effects and the big thing of CBD or cannabidiol it is it, it's a potent anti-inflammatory. There's specific receptors in the, in the intestinal tract called CB2 receptors. We know that CBD or cannabidiol the 
non-psychoactive portion found from the hemp plant binds to those receptors, decreasing levels of inflammation. So that's another huge thing. You've got an animal, a dog or cat with IBD, I'd really encourage you to be considering trying CBD as well. A standard CBD dose is one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Why does your dog lick his butt? Let's consider Toby. This little nine-year-old beagle, he's smearing brownish, disgusting, smelly goo all over the carpet and the couch. In addition to dragging his butt on the floor and the furniture, Toby was constantly licking his rear. The entire house was a smelly mess. So what was going on? Toby was having problems with his anal sacs. So what are anal sacs? They're these two small pouches, one on either side of the anus. They produce a very odorous liquid. Small amounts are released every time your dog defecates. This stinky substance is likely used to mark territory and scare predators off. But why do some dogs have problems with their anal sacs or their anal gland? Well, they occasionally they can become a medical problem. There's no specific breed, color, or size. Generally, in my experience, it was kind of these smaller dogs seem to have more problem than the mid-size and larger dogs. Dogs are far more frequently affected than cats. And as a consequence, what, what can happen is that these anal sacs, normally it's a very liquidy fluid, it can get very firm, and it just doesn't come out of the gland anymore. So it's called impacted or compacted. Really uncomfortable, and that's why your dog is scooting. That's why Toby was doing what he was doing. Why is this happening? What, what can you do? Seems that in some, some cases, is just animals that don't defecate regularly enough, they're not walked enough, just the act of doing that will help express the anal gland. Other cases, we don't know why. So what can you do before you progress to something big like surgery? Well, first, learn how to express the anal glands yourself. It may not be the most enjoyable job, but it's the best way to relieve the problem. First, take your pet to the bathtub, apply lukewarm water to clean his or her bottom. Don some latex exam gloves and lift up your pet's tail. Squeeze your thumb and forefinger together on the right side of the anus, four o'clock, and on the left side of the anus at the eight o'clock position. Apply moderate pressure if nothing comes out, adjust your angle and repeat. A brownish foul-smelling fluid will come out. If this is very painful, call your veterinarian. Consider applying some heat. Soak a washcloth and Epsom salts in warm water and hold it to your pet's bottom for five minutes twice a day. If your pet will allow it, you can put some pressure on the glands while compressing. This may help them drain. Bulk up. Additional fiber can increase dual volume, naturally putting pressure on the anal glands and helping them empty. Good sources of fiber include ground flax, one teaspoon per cup of food daily. Metamucil, one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily, or oat bran, one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily. And some guys even respond well to it. And even pumpkin, it's a great source, and I found that many cats prefer pumpkin, canned pumpkin, one tablespoon per day. Regular exercise for sure. It's going to help keep those anal glands emptied. If they remain obstructed, you try the above remedies. Call your veterinarian. In some cases, it's more it's an impaction. In some cases, it can even progress to an abscess. Make sure you have your your pet on a good probiotic supplement. Sometimes these good bacteria colonize the intestine, making it the very least la less likely that you're going to deal with a secondary anal gland infection. I've had some clients suggest colloidal silver, and they've had it set it to work for their pet, right? Even if they got a mild anal gland infection. And what they're doing is dosing very low at about one half of a teaspoon per 10 pounds body weight twice daily. There, there's a homeopathic that you can consider. One is called Parsulf. So Parsulf is most typically used for animals that have abscesses. And I had a number of uh, clients that said it really worked for their animal that had an anal gland abscess. The Haparsulf dose is 130C tablet every four to six hours for two to three days. But if the scooting continues, then what can you do, right? If this happens, have your pet re-examine at your vet. The anal sacs should be rechecked. If the sacs are empty and the scooting persists, you should look at other causes of anal itchiness. 
such as allergies or parasites. And anal abscess, this can result in this big infection, the more serious ones may even require surgery. But it's just best to stay on top of an anal impaction. That's where there's the fluid has gotten very thick, but it hasn't sort of gotten infected yet, turned into an abscess. If an abscess forms and ruptures, you may be able to treat it at home with twice daily hydrotherapy. That means running lukewarm water in the area, keeping it clean and draining for four to five days, plus a t applying a topical antiseptic scrub, you know, such as chlorhexidine, sold under the brand name Hibitane. You can e even use something like black tea to the good antiseptic. How often do you need to be draining your dog's anal glands? Really depends on the animal. You know, for lots of guys, a kind of standard amount was sort of once a month, but I had some clients that needed to have it done once a week. And I was happy to show them how to do it so they weren't coming in, into the clinic weekly. The last big thing is considering anal gland remo removal. So if it's a, a chronic problem and we're dealing with animals that get secondary abscesses, then consider that. It's a fairly big surgery. I did do it in veterinary practice, but you need to be making sure that you're going to your veterinarian has got experience doing this they're very competent in doing more advanced soft tissue surgery they're aware of the secondary side effects and you're comfortable that they're experienced. So just make sure you ask a bunch of questions. Assuming they are experienced or you go see a referral surgeon, generally our dogs respond really well to anal gland surgery if needed to be done. But ideally not, just I encourage you to follow some of the above remedies first before you progress to the point of needing surgery. Lastly, I want to discuss this new treatment for COVID-19. New York hospitals are studying a common heartburn drug as a treatment for COVID-19. Preliminary results of the clinical trial of famotidine, this actual, the drug name, uh, and it's actually sold under the brand name Pepsid, could come out in the next few weeks, said Dr. Kevin Tracy, president of the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research at Northwell Health, which runs 23 hospitals in New York City. So far, almost 200 patients have been enrolled in the clinical trial, and they're hoping to enroll 1,200. There are many examples in history of medicine where a drug that was designed for one purpose turns out to have an effect on another disease, Tracy said. But if famotidine works, i.e. Pepsid, I mean, that's a big if, obviously, to this point, it would be so really easy to use in a widespread scale. It's generic, it's plentiful, and it's inexpensive. But he emphasized, might not work. We don't know for sure. But the, here's the interesting thing. So what they did is that, you know, it, initially now, they're had, in this first initial study, they, they've been using really big doses, and they've been giving it IV. And then they're seeing it's a good positive result. So obviously that's different than just taking one, one sort of tablet. The interesting thing is how they sort of came upon this as they looked at a specific study a uh, Dr. Michael Callahan, an infectious disease expert at Massachusetts General Hospital, was had worked with coronavirus patients in China, and he observed that some people with lower incomes were surviving longer than their wealthier counterparts who also had heartburn. So what was it? That the lower income people were taking this inexpensive over-the-counter drug famotidine, whereas the wealthier patients tended to take a you know, far more expensive drug. And what he's saying is uh, the lower income people really seem to do well in famotidine. Tracy said that in addition to the observation the Chinese patients, uh, the Florida-based Alchem Labs used a computer model to make a listing of existing drugs that might fight coronavirus, and famotidine shows up near the top of the list. Uh, the belief is that the structure of famotidine is that it could stop the virus from replicating, in the same way that other protease inhibitors are used to treat HIV and stop that virus. So kind of fingers crossed that this is going to turn out, and I really hope we've got some inexpensive over-the-counter medication uh, that can make a really big difference for this disease, especially while we're looking 
you know, and in the process when we're dealing with over these 100 vaccine trials and waiting for an effective vaccine to come out. Once again, thanks for listening to this edition of the Veteran Secrets Podcast. This was Podcast 81. Questions or comments, feel free to send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. You can also, you know, post under the blog. I post all the podcasts on the blog. And it's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. So thanks again, you guys. It's Dr. Jones. I'll talk to you again next week.